Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 1 Peter. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail them to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing with our study of the first epistle of Peter. We're in chapter 1. We've gone through all of chapter 1, verse 5. The first two verses of chapter 1 are the salutation of Peter. And he is speaking, writing, sending this letter to those that are scattered uh, throughout Asia Minor. Uh, and beyond. And then these are the Christians that are scattered about. These are the Jewish Christians primarily that are scattered about. And then he speaks and begins to write about salvation. The salvation there starting at verse 3 and following. We have this incorruptible inheritance. It is undefiled. Uh, It is never to fade. It is always going to be our precious possession, and it's reserved in heaven for us. It's not to be lost. And we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time or the last days. And we are presently living in the last days, at least we believe we are, and we're going to see some great things come about as we enter in uh, to this time that Peter calls salvation. Now, our salvation, of course, is of the Lord, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. There are lots of things that come our way that create problems for us, but we rejoice greatly in this thing called salvation that's ours through Jesus Christ, that the trial of our faith, this many uh, manifold temptations, or we would say many temptations, different kinds of temptations, uh, that the trial of our faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. It is the Christian's destiny, that is salvation. Salvation means deliverance. It means to be saved from and saved to. We're saved to uh, the holiness of God. We're saved from uh, the iniquity and sin. We're saved from ourselves. We're saved from eternal damnation. We're saved unto heaven and righteousness. We're saved unto glory. And so, salvation means at its root deliverance. So Peter's view of salvation is that salvation which is ultimate, not only here, but in the hereafter. When the believer will be rescued from this world into the very presence of Almighty God, that is the ultimate salvation. And If you uh, take a look in 1 Peter, 
you can see this running not only in chapter 1, but all the way uh, to chapter 2 and verse 10. Now, here we're reading in verse 1. We've gotten down through verse uh, 7, and now we're in verse 8. Whom having not seen ye love, that is Jesus Christ, in whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How's your joy content? We know the joy of the Lord is our strength, as it says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And here we are rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The joy is so great we cannot describe it. And the glory quotient is absolutely full. It's filled. The glory is filled to capacity and overflowing. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. He says you've got a trial of your faith, but you're going to receive the end of your faith. That is ultimate salvation. And this is the end of your faith is the salvation of your Souls, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. It is this redemption, this salvation, that the angels want to understand because they have not left their first estate. They have not left the serving of Almighty God. These angels are indeed the ministering spirits that God would have them to be, doing the work of salvation, uh, doing the work of the gospel. However, it's the Holy Ghost that does the work, more than the ministers or ministering angels. It is the gospel that is preached that the Holy Ghost indwells. Verses 3 through 12 here that we've just read is the plan of salvation. Now, Peter doesn't look at it from our perspective, from a Western perspective. The Jews regarded the present as so fleeting that in their language they have essentially only two tenses, past and future. The present tense was virtually non-existent for the Jews, and so the portrayal of salvation looks to the future. The author of salvation is portrayed as the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, there in verses 3, 4, and 5. The work of salvation, in those same verses, is described as to its effect. Hath begotten us again, is the phrase. Hath begotten us again, refers to a new stage of life that begins at salvation. This lively hope, or living hope, has no element of uncertainty, for it's guaranteed by Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. The believer's inheritance is described as incorruptible. It's imperishable. It's indestructible. 
it cannot in any fashion be destroyed or defiled. It cannot be tainted in any fashion. So it's morally untainted. It's described there in verses 3 through 5 that it fades not away. That means it's not subject to the ravages of time. What happens to us as we grow older? We fade away. Our works fade away. The things we develop, the things we design, the things we, we build, they fade away over time. And so it is that the ravages of time cannot touch this salvation that is given to us through Jesus Christ. Now, not only can it not fade away, it is reserved and preserved and kept in heaven. The word kept here in the Hebrew use is a present passive participle. We are secure because we are continually guarded by God who never relaxes his guard or his vigil for us. And so what we see here is we are secure in Christ because we are guarded by God himself. He never sleeps, he never slumbers, and he never relaxes his grip on us. This word salvation in these verses refers to the final salvation. That's the deliverance from the presence of sin and the deliverance to the presence of Almighty God. Remember, again, we're dealing with Jewish terms. There's past and there's future. There's virtually no present in Jewish terms because the present is so fleeting. We think the present is everything, but it's not. It's so fleeting, it becomes the future and it becomes the past, either or very quickly. Now, in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 that we read, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though ye see him not, now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You see, the problem of salvation looks to the very present time. Earthly trials constitute a problem of our salvation, but they're only for now. They're for a short season. They are temporary. They're not for eternity. Manifold temptations, that means diversified trials. True faith cannot be destroyed, though God is in the process of refining faith through our trials. If you study the book of Job, you see there were fiery trials for this good man, Job. He was a righteous man. But why were the trials sent his way? To prove he was corrupt? No, to prove he was God's own. That's why they were sent his way, to prove he was God's own and to prove that he could stand the tests and trials. And so it is with us as Christians, 
even though these temporary and short duration of trials are given to us not to destroy our faith, not to cause trouble for us, but to refine us and make us more like Jesus Christ in everything and in every way. Now, verses 10 and 11, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, see, uh, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. It is in this two-verse couplet that we find the prophecy of salvation. The problem of salvation we saw in verses 6 through 9, and that problem was in the present, and it looked to the present. But the prophecy of salvation looks to the past. This two-verse section is the most important, for it reveals that salvation was the object of prophecy, and reveals how much the Old Testament prophets knew of Jesus Christ. The prophets, those in the Old Testament, they searched diligently. This emphasizes the study that was involved in their search. These prophets wanted to know when the Messiah was coming and what would be the circumstances of his arrival. The Spirit of Christ, that is, the Holy Spirit, um, which was with them, indicates the prophets were indwelt by the Spirit of God. They were led, they were guided, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we continue to read, and we see in verse 12 that the angels desire to look into this thing of salvation. They are not the objects of redemption. Angels cannot be redeemed. And they're not part of the redemptive process. So they're not the objects of redemption, but they want to look into it. They desire to stoop, that is, to come down from where they are, to look into this thing called redemption or salvation. This is the same word that was used in Luke chapter 24, verse 12, when it says that Peter stooped to look into the empty tomb that Christ had occupied. I think it's interesting. In that, it says he stooped down and looked. But this does not say that. It says, desire. But the full thought in the original is desire to stoop, that is, to make yourself humble, to look into this thing called redemption. Now, verse 13, we're exhorted here, beginning at verse 13, and we find the products of salvation. You've had the, the problem of salvation looking at the present. You have the prophecy of salvation, looking to the past. And in verses 13 through 25, that is through the end of the chapter, you have the products of salvation, that is hope, holiness, reverence, and love. Hope, holiness, 
reverence, and love. Let's begin reading in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is at the second coming of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Remember, the word holy means sanctified or set apart. In this case, set apart from sin, set apart unto Almighty God. Notice that we should be holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation there means lifestyle. So as we live, we should be holy. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, your vain lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This is the exhortation to set one's hope, and it has to include and be involved with an inward resolution. When we're told in verse 13 to gird up the loins of our mind, the imagery is that of a personal discipline and an outward way of conducting yourself. Be sober, be free of every sort of mental and spiritual intoxication. The revelation of Jesus Christ is his second advent when Jesus returns to the earth to set up his kingdom. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation, that is, at the second coming of Jesus Christ as obedient children. So as the children of obedience, instead of the children of disobedience, not living according to our former lusts, but we are holy, we are made holy in Christ Jesus, and we should be holy in all of our lifestyle. In verse 16, we end in today's session, verse 16 
because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And when we find this, we find it in Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, Leviticus 19, 2, and Leviticus 27, where God himself says and instructs us, exhorts us, and commands us, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's The Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.